Lord, thank you again for bringing us here and thank you again for your presence. Lord, as we sang earlier, set a fire in our hearts, Lord. God, I pray that if, if any of us here is just, their fire is cooled down for you, God, that you would spark it aflame today, Lord. That you would stoke it and put more fuel on it and help us, God, to be more committed, be more submitted, Lord, that we would live totally for you. So, God, here we are ready to hear from you. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would anoint this time. And we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, I read about this doctor who decided to perform a catheter ablation on a Christian man. After several failed attempts to restore a healthy rhythm to his heart, this procedure was to, well, bring up a camera through the blood vessel and then guide another tool, inserted tool, to catheterize the parts of the heart that were causing the problem. The doctor explained to the man that he would basically singe what he called the misbehaving parts of his heart. Well, as the man was being wheeled into surgery, the doctor asked him, hey, do you have any more questions? And so the man, trying to make light of things, said, so you're going to go into the interior of my heart, right? Correct, said the doctor. You're going to burn and kill those misbehaving cells. Yes, that's the plan, replied the doctor. Trying to be a little funny, then the Christian man asked, so... As long as you're in there, could you also torch some of the greed, some of the selfishness, the pride, and any other hard parts of my heart? Well, the doctor smiled and answered, sorry, that's way above my pay grade. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's not for way above God's pay grade, right? He can do it. He can fix our heart. Matter of fact, when we come to Christ, he gives us a new heart. Isn't that right? Ezekiel 36, 26, and this is NLT. It says, and I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. But you know what the problem is? Many Christians go back to making their heart stubborn again. Many Christians go back to making their heart hard again. See, as we return to our study in the book of Hebrews, we find our writer warning the believers, the Jewish believers he's writing to, to be very careful about that, to watch out for the hardening of your heart. And that's the title of our message this morning, the hardening of your heart. We're going to be studying Hebrews chapter 3 from verse 7 through 19. If you were with us last time, we ended at verse 6. If you missed it, grab the CD. But we're going to continue on and finish this chapter. Now, the hardening of your heart, it comes by this. And this is our outline. By number one, by not believing God. It comes, number two, by not trusting God. And it comes, number three, by not obeying God. So that's our outline this morning. So the hardening of your heart. We're going to begin here. Number one, it comes by not believing God. Number one, by not believing God. Now take a look with me here. Now Hebrews chapter 3 beginning with verse 7. It reads here, therefore, 
As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So, verse 11, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. All right, we'll stop right there. Now we begin with this word here in verse 7, therefore. And as we come to this word many times already in this book, it looks back to what the writer had just talked about. And last time, if you're here, we saw how important it is to focus on what matters. How Jesus is greater than Moses and did so much, right, to sacrifice and for our sins and to save us and to put us into that household of God and, and how we got to focus in on how Jesus is our all in our, our everything and how we put our focus on Jesus. If we do that, he will get us through all the way to the end, all the way to heaven. If we would just lock our eyes upon Jesus, lock our heart on Jesus. So, As the writer moves on here, he says, therefore, or like in light of all of this, you know what, you guys, and just in general, he's saying, do not harden your heart about all this. Don't harden your heart towards God. One commentator, Bruce Barton, said, do not harden your hearts means do not rebel and persist in your stubbornness. Well, that hard heart, the writer now focuses in that and emphasizes that and how he does that and what we just read here to be here in uh, chap- verse 7 in chapter 3 the beginning there he quotes psalm 95 from verse 7 through 11 and in these five verses that we see here i like how he just begins therefore you know this is what the holy spirit has said And he credits the Holy Spirit, who really is behind all the writers of Scripture, right? He's influenced and inspired them. All right, so he says here in verse 7, now, the word today, he says today, that word is a word of urgency. And then he says, if or when you hear God's voice. So he's talking about this opportunity to listen and respond to what the Lord is saying. So you, you need to take that opportunity today if you will hear his voice. Or you know what? You'll be like Israel. And that's what he's going to talk about. Israel who hardened their hearts in the rebellion, verse 8. How they went against God actually, actually in the time of what? Their wilderness journey after they left Egypt. So that was the time described here in this psalm and what the writer is quoting. That was the time that Israel tested God. Verse 9. It's when, that means uh, Israel stretched the limits of God's patience. And they tried him. Even after, after Israel saw God do miracles and miracles, right? Some huge miracles. The works that God did for those 40 years. How tragic is this true story of Israel. This is what's being brought up in front of us this morning. This, this is the evidence, really, of a hard heart. How they stretched their limits, how they tested and tried God, even after all these miracles. And we all know the story, right? Back in the book of Exodus, we know how first God had brought 
upon Egypt, the ten plagues, right? And, and, and those ten plagues uh, secured the release of the Jews from their bondage in Egypt. It was about 400-some-odd years there, they were there. And then the second thing we, we see that what God did a great miracle is when they, they were released and they were leaving Egypt and then Pharaoh changed his mind. Like, oh, you know what? No, no. And forgot about God's plagues and went after the Jews, trapped them there right at the Red Sea. But what happened? God parted the Red Sea, delivered Israel from Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, and they all drowned in that when it closed, right? So we, we know the story, just a huge, huge miracle. But it continued on. Then during the whole trek across the wilderness to the promised land, God visibly protected the people, right? A cloud by day, a fire by night, the Shekinah glory of God right there with Israel. We know how God provided water where there was no water. He provided food where there was no food. Manna every day. And understand, God fed over 2 million Israelites out there in in the in the wilderness so this is amazing manna every day and then i think about how in deuteronomy 29 5 says that in all those 40 years they're in the wilderness their clothes never wore out and their sandals never wore out so god did an amazing thing in in working through all their journey there, bringing them out of Egypt and freeing them from the bondage. But even after all these miracles, they still were rebellious and stubborn. So this is what the writers get into. Hey, hey, listen what's going on. Do not harden your hearts. Well, no wonder then Psalm 95, he quotes going on in verse 10. Therefore, because of that, because they hardened their heart, God was angry with that generation of Jews for they consistently went went astray with their heart and they have not known my ways. Now the word known here is actually uh, the original word. It speaks of knowing by experience. So they didn't really experience a godly life. They didn't really experience God working in their life they didn't experience really following the lord the nlt puts it they refuse to do what i tell them so because of the rebellion because of their stubbornness the consequences were that israel would not verse 11 enter my rest and what is that well this is the rest that god wanted to give them after the deliverance from egypt the bondage there he wanted to bring them through the wilderness to where the promised land that is the rest. They, he wanted to bring them to find rest in the promised land where they would settle into a new life with God intimately involved with them. Here's the idea. Because of their hard heart in this set of verses, here's the idea. Because of their hard heart, they never got to go into the land of rest. We know, we know what happened, right? I mean, after... Two years from leaving Egypt, they were near that land of, of promise, right? They, they, were, they were close close to it, right there. And uh, they sent out 12 men, right, to spy out the land. And then 10 of the 12 came back with a very pessimistic report, right? They went and looked at the land. They, they came, back, came back and 10 of the guys were like, there's giants in the land. 
We're like little tiny grasshoppers compared to them. There is no way we can go in there and take this land. There's no way we can conquer this place. We will be conquered. And they were filled with much fear and doubt. But two of those 12 that went, you remember who they were? Joshua and Caleb. They tried to say no. They tried to convince the people, yeah, but look at the, the giant fruit. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's, it's great land. And, and don't, you know, look at what God has done. God can help us. They tried to convince the people to what? Focus on the power and ability of God to keep his promise to give, him, give them the land. But what happened? The rest of the people were hard-hearted, rebellious, and stubborn people, and they would not listen. They would not believe God for what He said, for what He would do. And this is the key here. They did not believe, right? God said, all right, then this generation is not going to enter this land of rest. The next generation will, but... In the meantime, you guys are going to wander around now for the next 38 years, making it a total of 40 years they wandered around in the wilderness. So because of unbelief, because they did not believe, because of that, these Israelites who originally came out of Egypt never experienced the rest, the kind of life God intended for them. I'm talking about the the full rest from bondage. They were were freed from the bondage of Egypt, right? God was bringing them into this promised land and there will be this full rest from the bondage, a rest from their wanderings. I'm talking about finally living a life with the Lord God, intimately involved with that nation more than ever. Now, understand this as we get into this passage and even the next chapter. uh, This promised land is a symbol of rest. What we're looking at here is a symbol of rest we have in God after we are saved, after the exodus, after we're freed from the bondage of sin. Now, the writer's going to go on in the next chapter, and we'll see that next time. Uh, He's going to give other symbols of what the promised land symbolizes, what this rest is. And we're going to see things like like the salvation rest, where we don't have to work for our salvation, or our eternal rest, when finally we reach heaven and we're, we're, we're good now. But here, the focus is in the present rest. So understand that there's a salvation rest, an eternal rest, but there's a present rest after, like Israel's been freed from the bondage of Egypt. So keep that in mind as we go through this chapter. So the writer uses this quote now to bring us to now verse 12 to warn the reader. Verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. There it is. They didn't believe, right? In departing from the living God. Beware. Be very careful, you guys. Watch here. Lest any of you guys sin in the same way that Israel did. Departing, or as the ESV puts it, leading you to fall away from the living God. And what is this sin? It is with an evil heart of unbelief. Not believing God. I mean, think about it. You think that after all that God did for Israel, all the miraculous uh, saves and provision and protection, they still doubt Him. They don't believe God can do this for them. 
So the idea is really be careful not to produce a hard heart like Israel did because of unbelief. The hardening of your heart. That's our title. Comes by our heading. By not believing God. By not believing God. That's what happened to Israel. This is the first thing that the writer is showing us. You know, I was thinking about in Mark chapter 6, verse 52. It, it, it explains after um, uh, the disciples are on a boat, Jesus sent them, and then they got caught in the storm. Then Jesus comes walking on the water, you know, kind of jumps in the boat, stills the storm, everything is great. Well, in Mark 6, verse 52, ex- it explains why the disciples are like, whoa, who's this guy? Whoa, how can he do this? Well, it says here, for they had not understood about the loaves. And what was that? Well, right before that, Jesus had fed 5,000 right, with, with some loaves and fish and did a miracle right there. But it says, for they had not understand about the loaves, the power of God, Jesus being God, because, verse 52, Mark 6 says, their heart was hardened. What's he saying? They didn't believe that Jesus could do that. So this warning for hard hearts is this, and this is the point. If you don't believe for today what God did in the past, then you will never enter the rest God intended for you. Do you see that here? If you don't believe for today what God did in the past, then then you will never enter the rest God intended for you. You won't have that rest in your life, in that your walk with the Lord. You know, the other month we were uh, down, going, going downtown, uh, meeting someone for dinner. And, and when, I was getting, when we were getting close to the restaurant, my sort of OCD kicked in about, is the, did I close the garage? And I was like, oh, no, did I, did I close it in? Did I close it? Did I hit the remote, you know? Did I see if it went down all the way? You know, sometimes the sensors will see something will pop up. And, and I, ever since we've lived in houses with a automatic garage door opener and closer, I don't know why I get kind of little OCD about it. I get, and, and I would be driving away and get this panic in my, feeling, in my heart like, oh, no, th- did I close it? Did I really close it? And many times in that fear and doubt, we, we would actually turn around. We'd be down the street or, or even out of our, our subdivision, and we we turn around, and i go back to the house, and, oh, good, it's closed, it's closed, you know? And, and you know, every time it, it, it's closed and stuff. Well, my mind would not rest. So we were, we were, we're already down the hill. We're already in downtown. We're almost at the restaurant. And I started scheming in my mind in, in the panic, right? Well, you know what? I could turn around. We could call the people we're meeting. And, 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 and I was trying to convince myself, oh, it won't take that long, you know, to go up and down and everything. And I know it's super foolish, and I'm very shame about it. But, but, um, but then I thought, what am I doing? Okay, Lord, I pray, Lord. You take care of it, you know, because I was, I was picturing someone going in and stealing all of my stuff and my computers and, you know, guitars and everything like that. But, but I thought, God, I, okay, so I prayed. And then to the relief of my wife, because I was vocalizing this, I didn't do that. And we went and ate and everything. And then after, you know, a couple hours, we went home. And, and I was so happy to see the garage was closed. <laughs> it was closed. Ho, ho. But then it was funny, um, I don't know when it was, maybe a month, or I, I don't know, you know, I kind of get a little OCD. 
I panicked again. We were, we were driving away, and, and I, I forget if we were going to space for a service or something, and I go, oh, no. Did I close the garage? Oh, no. And then when I mentioned that, my wife really calmly and casually said, yes, it's closed. I closed it. I made sure of it because I know what you would think. But you know what? When she said that, I immediately had rest (laughs) for my soul. (laughs) That's the kind of rest we should have. We believe that Jesus will take care of things. We believe that, that he has the power and the Ability. You know, the funny thing is, is I, I notice now Kristen's clo- hitting a button to close the garage. I go, no, I can do that. She goes, no, I'll do that. <laughs> I know why. <laughs> I know it's love, but it's probably so I'm less annoying to her. But anyway, <laughs> that's the idea, guys. God wants to bring Israel into the land where they would experience his incredible power and might and find rest that they would be able to live intimately with this relationship with God. That they would see the Lord work even more than what they saw in Egypt, in the Red Sea, and even in the wilderness. They should remember what God did for them in the past so they could focus, so they could go on and find rest, that He can take care of the giants. So the writer's like, if you don't believe for today what God did in the past, you will never enter the rest God intended for you. Let me ask you, is that you today? You know what? God wants to bring you out of that wilderness, you guys. He wants you to experience greater and deeper things than ever before. He wants to take care of those giant problems that you face. But what happens? Because of unbelief, because you don't believe, you, you, you turn away. And as a result, you harden your heart and you're still lost in the wilderness, wandering around with no real peace in your heart, no real rest. Like Israel, you have been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. You know, Egypt is always a symbol of the world. And so you've been delivered from the world and from your sins and you prayed a prayer. Jesus came and saved you. Yet, you're still living your life walking with the Lord, but you have not found rest because you still are filled with doubt. Now let me tell you, let me clarify this. Rest doesn't mean that you won't have problems, right? They went in, they faced the giants in the land. They faced people who wanted to fight them, all kinds of things. But it do, what, what rest really is, it, it means that you aren't so overwhelmed with problems emotionally, mentally. It means that you believe, God, that He's going to take care of you and that He'll fight your battles for you and that He'll give you strength. And then you'll see that giants are really an opportunity for God to show Himself to you. Watch out for not Believing God in your heart for that very thing. You know what? It will harden your heart. Charles Stanley said, Though we do not lose our salvation through unbelief once we've accepted Christ. He said this, We will miss out on the very best God has for us. 
Eventually, he writes, it will hinder our growth and relationship with the Lord and will ultimately result in frustration and heartache. Does that describe you? Do you have a hard heart because of unbelief? Look again what God has done. Look again the miracles in your life. Look again the times he came and rescued you and humble yourself before him. See how much that he does care, that he can help you. Repent of your unbelief and believe in him again. Well, let's go on here to number two. The hardening of your heart comes by number two, by not trusting God. This is another thought. First of all, it's by not believing God, but now number two, by not trusting God. Verse 13, Hebrews chapter 3, the writer goes on and says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. All right, we'll stop right here. Now, the writer goes on in these things, in the things that he's, he's been talking about. Now, he said, exhort. The word exhort is actually the Greek word parakaleo. It means to come alongside it's, and help. It's the same word used of the Holy Spirit, who is our helper. It comes alongside of us. Jesus sent us to help, help us in our walk. So he's saying, let's come alongside and help each other every day now while we have Today, what is that talking about again? This opportunity that's been presented to us. we got to take that opportunity. We can't let it pass. It's an urgent call now. So let's help each other while we have this opportunity. So, so let's help each other to take that opportunity so that no one will be hardened in their heart through what? The deceitfulness of sin. You see, our heart is wicked, right, Jeremiah said. And, and sin will come in and deceive us. Our heart and sin will deceive us into thinking what? What is he saying? That we're okay. I'm okay in the wilderness. I'm all right. Matter of fact, when you have a hard heart, you don't even notice you have a hard heart. Because you're okay to live like that. And that's the deception. So the idea is the hard heart is so deceitful, it blinds you to think you don't have one. That's why the writer is saying, hey, you know what? Let's get together and encourage each other, help each other yeah, in, in all of this. We need to come alongside because it's so easy to be deceived that I'm okay, right? Hebrews 10, 24, 25, we'll see that way later, but it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting, neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, because they kind of strayed away, but encouraging, that's the same word, parakaleo, one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing. He's saying the hard heart can deceive even the individual. So as Hebrews 10 says, we got to encourage each other. we got to stir each other up. We cannot neglect the meeting of together. Understand when sin and, 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 and it gets into you and a hard heart is getting there and, and then the enemy comes and you know what? He tricks you into thinking that your life with a hard heart is okay. I'm all right. I'm okay in the wilderness. Yeah, I'm okay. And you know what? The next step in Satan's strategy is to do whatever he can to keep you from fellowship. Why? To keep you thinking you're okay. To keep you thinking, well, you know, I'm only going to go so far with the Lord and I'm okay. 
I'm okay with the wilderness, in the wilderness. Oh, God has freed me. I prayed a prayer. I'm all right. And then you're in this wilderness, but you never have that rest. So the writer said, goes on. He says, don't be deceived by your hard heart. For in verse 14, you know, we are partakers of Jesus. Partakers means like partners in business in that, you know, we share in the profits that Jesus has made. And also this, this word partakers has this sense of reliance. In other words, we can rely on what Jesus has done and will do in our lives so we can fully, I'm going to put this word out, trust him. And so that's, that's what the writer goes on to say, really. He says that's, now if you hold on in trust to all the way to the end, all the way until we reach heaven, like you did when at the beginning. So he's talking to the Hebrew believers. He's saying, you know, like when you first trusted Christ to save you, to free you from the bondage of Egypt. And he says, Christ, who is our confidence. And that word, I think better translated, would be trust. So let me re- read it in the NLT. I think it's more clear. It says, For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God, just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. So keep trusting God all the way to the end, like how you first did at the beginning. And you know what? You will experience the rest, promised land, that Jesus made the way for you to have. You know what I think about is how Israel, they started out well, right? Great, right? They started out great. God delivered them the plagues. They protected them from the plagues. And then finally they left, delivered them from the Red Sea. And, and, and you know what? If, if, if you read in Exodus, right after the Red Sea, they're like on cloud nine. They're like praising God. There's a whole chapter of, of just worshiping the Lord, exalting Him in His power. He delivered them through the Red Sea, drowned you know, Pharaoh's armies and all of that. They totally exalted God for His miracle working power. But then three days later, three, just three days, God's leading them through and they come upon some body of water and they're thirsty and they taste it. And what? It's bitter water. They call it mar. It's bitter. And all of a sudden, they forgot their songs they were singing. They're, they forgot what happened in the Red Sea. They forgot all the plagues and what God did. Only three days ago, God did this giant miracle. What did they do? They started complaining. God, why'd you bring us out here? God, I can't believe it. Well, you freed us to go to this, right? What? 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 Why are we here? What are we doing here? And they just complained and griped and went against God. Yet God in His grace and mercy still helped them, healed the waters. And then the next stop was at this oasis. Over and over, we know the story just happened, right? No food! They complained. They come against Moses, come against God. God provided manna. No water again. They're complaining. Wow, wow, I can't believe it, Moses. You let us out here to die. God provided water. Then they complain again. We're tired of the manna. We want quail. We want quail. We miss Egypt. We want, let's, let's get a party and go back to Egypt now. Yeah? Let's get a group. Again, going against. And then God gave them quail. Actually, more quail than they could stand. 
over and over, the Israelites saw God do miraculous things in the wilderness, but they never what? Trusted God. That's why in every situation that popped up, every problem, they did not trust God where they were at. So that generation, the writer telling us this, they, that generation never entered the promised land, the land of rest. So you can say they started off well, but they finished really badly if you can say they even finished at all. So the writer goes on to say, don't be like Israel, but look at verse 15. But while it is said today, while that opportunity is there, verse 15, if you will hear his voice, hear what God is saying, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's talking about all what happened with Israel, what I just described. He's saying respond and trust in the Lord. Do not harden your hearts. Don't be like them. Don't be like how they rebelled, how they went against Jesus, I mean against the Lord God and when they did not trust him. You see, there's a lack of trust in rebellion, right? And you see here, the hardening of your heart comes by what? By not trusting God. MacArthur wrote this, after each blessing they they were uh, satisfied only for a brief time. They saw evidence after evidence of his power and his blessing, but they never really believed. And just as the Egyptians quickly over, uh, quickly forgot uh, their fear of God, the Israelites quickly got over their trust of him. So this warning for hard hearts is this. If you don't continue to trust God, like when you first say, then you will never find the rest God intended for you. Do you understand what he's saying here? If you don't continue to trust God, like when, like when first saved, then you will never find the rest God intended for you. Ken Hughes tells this story of when he was a youth pastor and Years and years ago, when this young man came to salvation in Jesus, overnight he changed from this hippie to this passionate Jesus person, right? And just even a few weeks after his quote-unquote exodus from the bondage of Egypt, the world, he regularly was sharing his testimony to everyone he could. Anyone who came in, he's just sharing Jesus, talking about Jesus, preaching Jesus, and even strongly like exhorted people who were lukewarm. But then... When a relationship he had pursued in the church didn't work out. And then he, he, he got injured in a church softball game. You know what? He ended up rejecting Jesus, walking away from Jesus, and brought a lawsuit against the church. Well, you guys, that's just like Israel. You start off great. After the time of ex Exodus, right? There was great trust in the beginning. Yeah, God, we praise you, power. But as soon as some problem arises, no more trust. You go against God. You re reject God. And if you do that, if you don't continue to trust God like when first saved, then you will never find the rest God intended for you. Does that describe you this morning? Are you lost in the wilderness because of your hard heart, because you're not trusting God anymore? Some are not, rest, are, are not at rest because they're, they're constantly, does it describe you? You're constantly in this emotional and mental, mental turmoil. So you're just always inside of you. 
Or maybe you're easily and regularly annoyed with people or things or situations that come up. And never a day goes by that you, you aren't like frustrated and complaining and critical and all. Always in contention with someone. Always struggling inside with no peace inside. I'm not saying that the land of rest is free, free from trouble or problems, but, but it's a freedom that we get inside. It's a, a freedom that even if things happen around us, we're not bothered by them. We're not stressed by them. We're not always wrestling. It's a rest, this inside quietness, yeah? this, this composure. We're not overwhelmed. It's a peace. Why? From knowing God will take care of it. It's this trust, a total trust in God. You know, if Israel had more than enough evidence to trust God in whatever situation they had ended up in, how much more do we have today? Jesus Christ who died on the cross for, for us, for you, for me, who rose again from the dead, conquered sin and death, who sits on the right hand of God on the throne, sovereign in power, who, who looks out for us, cares for us, who reached out and saved you. Saved, I'm thinking, you saved me? Why? Why? And miraculously, he freed me from our sins, right? From my sins. I mean, how many of you were, were alcoholics and, and, and addicted to drugs, but God freed you from that? Freed you from your sins, right? He freed you. Freed you from Egypt. Don't you think then that Jesus can handle any problem or trouble that you're in now? That anything that comes upon you? He did this huge work already in your life. He can do the other thing, is, and that's bring you into that land of rest. And that land of rest inside of you. The peace in the middle of the storm. The peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because we trust God. Perhaps you've been delivered from your Egypt. You made that exodus, but you're still wandering around in the wilderness and have not made it into the promised land. It's time now, you guys. It's time to enter into what God has always intended for you to have, to trust Him in those situations, in those places, and enter into His rest, the rest inside of us. You know, I, I, yesterday I was driving home and the words to a song uh, really was impacting my heart. And it was on our radio station and it really, oh, I was just listening to it, really having all this in mind too. And it's, it's by the group Unspoken. It was playing on our radio and it, the song is called Lift My Life Up. But listen to the words here. You have brought me this far, so why would I question you now? You have provided, so why would I start to doubt? i never been stranded, abandoned, or left here to fight alone. And then he says, so I'm giving you control. I lift my life, lift my life up. I give it all in surrender. I lift my heart, lift my heart up. You can have it forever. All my dreams, all my plans, Lord, I leave it in your hands. I lift my life, lift my life up. And then there's a little uh, bridge or something that goes, have your way in me, have your way in me. You see, 
when we don't trust God, we take control of our life, right? And then what happens? We stay in the wilderness. We never find a land of rest. But when we trust God for whatever we face, whatever we're, we're led into, we find that land of rest. We find God in the middle of it. Well, let's go on here to number three. Our last heading here is that the hardening of the heart comes, number three, by not obeying God. By not obeying God. We've seen by not believing God, by not trusting God. And the last thought here is by not obeying God. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Verse 17, Now with whom as was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey all right, here we have a series of three questions. And question number one is this, for who, uh, having heard like God's word, and they heard God's word from Mount Sinai and all that, uh, uh, rebelled against God? Well, the answer is, was it not all who were led out of Egypt by Moses? In other words, every Israelite who came out of Egypt had the same opportunity to respond to God's message. Everyone had the chance, not just special ones, not just Moses, but everyone heard God's word that came out of the mountain, and they knew what God wanted. Then in verse 17 is question number two, who made God angry for 40 years? Well, wasn't it, the answer is, wasn't it those who sinned and died in the wilderness? In other words, it was those with a hard heart who sinned before God, who tested God's patience and never finished that, that journey. You know, if you think about it, if, if God took them in on direct route, you know, from Egypt to the promised land, it probably would have taken about two weeks. Yeah. But God brought them through another route, through the wilderness into Mount Sinai and up again. And that was almost, two, almost close to two, two years there. Yeah. And they came right, right to, to that, or maybe it was 10 months, I forget. But anyway, they came right to the border now. They could have been in there, in the promised land. Really, they could have. But because, what, of their sin? God had them go circles for four, 38 more years, 40 years in the wilderness. Question number three, verse 18 is, who were the ones that God said would not enter his rest? Well, the answer is, it was those, what, who did not obey who did not obey. In other words, those who didn't enter were those who didn't believe and trust God enough to obey Him, to really listen to what He's saying. And so the writer concludes here in our last verse this morning, verse 19. He says, So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Bottom line here, right, is unbelief. Disobedience comes from the root of unbelief. We've circled back around to what he started with. So unbelief leads to disobedience. And disobedience, what? Hardens the heart. So you see, the hardening of your heart comes by not obeying God. That's our last heading. Think about this. Israel would not believe and would not trust in God. And they did not believe that God could give them victory over the giants in the land and give them rest. So they did not obey him to go into the land. They did not trust God in the stops they made all along the way. They complained. They didn't trust Him. So 
they, they turned against God in all, all of that. And so they did not obey God. They wanted to go back to Egypt until the Lord helped them. You know what the Lord was doing? He was training them in faith. Yeah? He, was, he was creating or allowing some uh, opportunities that they would face a problem in the wilderness and then they would trust in God that he, he, he led them into some or there's some situation that they're in that God's going to take care of it. He was training them in trust and faith, but they just selfishly got angry at him. They didn't trust that God knew what he was doing. And what did they end up doing? They did what they wanted and not what God wanted, and that's what? Disobedience. So this warning for hard hearts is this, and this is our last point. If you keep this disobeying God, which only shows your unbelief, then you will never reach the rest God intended for you. Same idea. But if you keep disobeying God, which only shows your unbelief, then you will never reach the rest God intended for you. One of the saddest verses in the New Testament, I remember when um, Don Stewart was here with us, said, said this, was John 1.11. One of the saddest verses in the Bible, he said. And in John 1.11, it says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But I think the next saddest verse in the New Testament is this, Mark chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Now he could do no mighty work there because that he, uh, except that he laid his hands on a few sick, sick people and healed them. Why? Verse 6 says, Because of their unbelief. When Jesus went to his hometown, they didn't believe. What? This, 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 we know him. We know his family. We know where he grew up. What? He's the Messiah? So Mark writes, he couldn't do mighty work there. Why? Because of their unbelief. How sad is that? How sad the very people, his Jews, his hometown, they did not believe in Christ. And so they went against God and they did not do what he said. Now, this may shock you, but the hardest hearts in the world are not so much unbelievers. You know what? They're believers. They're believers. Those who have been delivered from Egypt, those who have said the prayer and experienced God in great ways. But because of unbelief, because of, of that, that leads to disobedience and they're still in the wilderness, they have never reached that land of rest. The hardness of heart that God most despises is those who hear what he says and does not obey. What happens? You pick and choose what you want to obey. And you do not submit to whatever God wants to do in your life. If you keep disobeying God, which only shows your unbelief, then you will never reach that rest. Perhaps in your journey in the wilderness, you've come upon the bitter waters of Mara. Perhaps in your journey you've come upon places where oh uh, lord uh, there's no food he gives you manna perhaps in the desert he's shown you even the shekinah glory right perhaps you've gone through these places and you're in a place even now but you're still fighting him saying god i don't want to be here god i don't want to do this god i don't like this he's only trying to help you right to grow in belief and trust and in your obedience, that's where it's at, you guys. To go through those times in that wilderness. 
Is that you? Maybe, maybe that's why you're still in great turmoil, struggling, weary, getting bitter, angry, frustrated, not going farther in your walk with the Lord. What I mean is this. Listen, are you in disobedience because you aren't handling the situation like God wants you to handle it? Yeah. So you've, you've said, no, nah, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to live my life over here in the wilderness. I'll be okay. I don't want to look at those giants. Yeah. Perhaps you're not loving someone like God wants you to do. Perhaps you're not forgiving someone that God asked you to do. Perhaps you are trying to take care of things in your own way and not trusting God to do it. Not obeying Him. Say, let it go. Let it go. And you're being disobedient because you're not letting it go. I mean, disobedience, of course, you know, granted, we always think about sin. Yeah, we don't want to sin and do immoral things before the Lord. That's disobedience. But I'm talking about deeper things, you guys. I'm talking about where we draw a line in our heart and say, nope, nope, God, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. You want me to do that? Nope, nope, nope. I'm not doing that. No way. I don't want to deal with that. Nope, nope. You're being disobedient. You're not letting God have any more rain. But the hope is, guys, in God's mercy and grace and His love for us, it's never too late to soften your heart. God can soften your heart. He can bring you into that rest that He intended for you to conquer those giants, yeah? to take that land, to bring you in that intimate relationship that you really desire in your heart, that you're longing for. Then wherever the storm, whatever storms come and, and whatever happens, that, oh, the Lord is with me. He's with me. And you have rest and peace. But you need to choose to turn your heart from that disobedience. You need to choose to trust God and place your life completely into His hands. You need to take the opportunity as you hear today to believe who Jesus is and what He can do. You know, God has given each one of us believers a new heart when he delivered us from Egypt. Have you turned it hard again? Will you soften your heart? Will you make that choice? Will you choose that? And let your heart beat for Jesus like it should. I'll close with this story. I read about this surgeon who had in surgery removed a woman's heart repaired what was wrong, and placed it back into her chest. As he massaged the heart to get it going, it wouldn't beat. He tried to start it, you know, using all the medical ways, everything he could, it didn't work. And when he exhausted every known, to, every known medical procedures in an act of desperation, the surgeon knelt down beside his patient and right into the ear of this woman, he said, Mrs. Johnson, this is your surgeon. The operation went perfectly and your heart has been repaired. But you need to tell your heart to beat again. Amazingly, you know what happened when the doctor finished saying these words? Immediately her heart started beating. I think there was a country song that was written in spite of this. Even though the surgeon did everything necessary to repair the heart, the patient needed to cooperate with him. God has already given you a new heart, repaired your heart. 
And now he wants to heal your heart of any hardness. But you need to tell your heart to beat for Jesus again. To believe in him, to trust in him, to obey wherever he wants to take you. Don't walk away from this message without responding. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Don't let it happen again, you guys. Don't let the hardening of your heart happen again. Let's pray. God, as we hear your voice speaking to us, as the Spirit has been moving upon us and convicting our own hearts, Lord, we don't want today to pass by without us responding to you, God. It is an opportunity you've given each one of us, Lord, to not harden our hearts anymore, to truly believe, God, to truly trust and obey, Lord, no matter, no matter what it is. And we know, we see the promise, we see, see what you're saying to us, that, that we will enter that land of rest and you'll bring us there that we will experience you in even greater ways than ever before, that you can calm our fears, Lord, that, that, you, that you, can, you can give us faith where there's doubt, Lord, that you can strengthen us where we're weak, that, Lord, we can see you open Red Sea because you, you, you've done it before, you can do it again, that as you freed us from our bondage of our Egypt, Lord, that you would continue to keep us free, Lord, Lord, save us from ourself, Lord. Help us to see you for who you are and what you're saying to us today. Help us to see what you can do, God, and not, what, not the limitations of our own self, Lord, and not see things through our own little tiny infant or finite minds, but to realize that this infinite, incredible, amazing God who created everything around us who rules and is sovereign, that you love me. You love each person here. Oh Lord, heal the heart hardness in our hearts right now. And Lord, today we want to take the opportunity to respond and, and commit to you, to lift my life up to you, Lord. Have your way in us, Lord. God, here we are. I want to give you guys right now an opportunity to do just that. Perhaps you have been wandering in the wilderness for so long now. Perhaps there hasn't been that rest, that peace like, like you've always longed for. Perhaps you're realizing right now that your heart has become hard because of disobedience, because you haven't trusted God and obeyed Him and, and gone and done things He wants you to do. Perhaps you didn't, haven't believed in Him that He can work powerfully in your life. This is the moment. Today is the day. I'm asking you, if you want to lift your life up to Him, to say, Lord, have your way with me. I give you my life, Lord. I believe, I trust, I want to obey you. Stand up right where you are. Stand up from your chair. Stand up before the Lord. Say, God, I believe, I trust, I obey, I want you, God. 
Lord, I yearn for that rest. I, I yearn to, for that peace in my life. I haven't had it for so long. I remember when I first got saved, but now, but now, stand up right where you're at. Stand up. Stand up for the Lord. Stand up and give Him your life. Lift it up to Him. Anyone else here? God bless you guys. Anyone else? Stand up. Lord, I pray for these who have stood up. I pray for myself, God, that you would help us, Lord, to truly enter that rest, to truly believe and trust, to truly obey you and where you feet, Lord. I pray, God, that you would forgive, cleanse, renew. And God, from today would be a second step chance, Lord, a a new start, Lord, for us to now live in this manner and enter the promised land that you've always intended for us. Pray for all of us, Lord, that we would stay in that rest and never harden our hearts ever again. In Jesus' name, amen.